0: Initial excision and closure of acute burns by Dr. Robert Sheridan. Warning, some of the content of this video is extremely graphic as it often depicts the injuries associated with severe burns. Viewers unfamiliar with such injuries may find this material disturbing.
1: Well, hello, Uh, my name's Rob Sheridan and uh, this is the next section in the burn part of the Open Pediatrics Project Uh, As you recall, this is uh, one segment in a multi-segment look at how to take care of burns and today we'll be doing the initial excision and closure section, which is a very important section and really is much of the heart of the uh, progress in burn care in recent years. And so we'll be spending a little more time on this one than on some of the earlier sections. So this is uh, the topic we'll be addressing today, the initial excision and closure of acute burn wounds. We'll go over briefly the initial evaluation of the wound and of the patient. We'll talk about how to determine the time and the need for operation. In other words, how much pressure is there to get the case done uh, right away. Um, we'll talk about how to prepare the, us and our team and the patient and the room for the operation. We'll talk about techniques of hemostatic burn excision. We'll talk briefly about donor site management and the craft of graft fixation and post-operative wound care. Where this fits in history, this is a slide you've seen before in the earlier, one of the earlier segments. This is Zora Zakovic, who first began I think talking about uh, the idea of, of short-circuiting the natural history of a wound which is liquefaction and slough and sepsis by excising wounds that appear to be full thickness and closing them right away. And this is really an important concept. Uh, this concept was taken to patients with large injuries by Uh, surgeons at Boston Shriners and at the Army Unit San Antonio and other places and there was quite a steep learning curve uh, to get to where we are today with hemostatic excisions that are safe. Uh, These operations are not straightforward at times and um, uh, that brings up a few rules uh, that we try to live by here and that is uh, you know wound closure is the best medicine. These kids can be very sick, they can have a lot of organ dysfunctions and fevers and septic episodes but if you just press ahead and get the wound closed most of those things self-correct. The other uh, rule that's very important is this is really a team sport in surgery. Um, no matter how good a surgeon you are you just can't do this successfully without a whole team behind you of people making the work, And we'll talk about some components of that team uh, as we go forward in this uh, this presentation. And I think the most important rule is this one, first do no harm. Uh, Many of these children are already sick, and you can make them a lot sicker if the operation doesn't go well. And so it's important to make sure you have everything set up, you're comfortable that you can do a good job, and make the problem better, not worse.
0: Initial wound evaluation.
1: So let's talk about the initial evaluation of the wound in the patient. Uh, typically, we look at, talk about size, depth, and circumferential components. Another way to look at this is to look at the threat that the injury presents. If there's no threat, there's no pressure to get the case done. And this is a, uh, the consideration here is your ability, the ability of your patient to tolerate your operation. So in considerations, of course, you want to look at the size and physiologic threat, the risk of sepsis, the risk of ischemia, distally especially. Uh, long-term functional aesthetic implications to plan the operative timing. But certainly you want to make sure that any wound that you're excising really needs to be excised and it's deep enough that it's not just going to heal on its own. Burn size is a rough idea of uh, the physiologic threat of the injury. If the injury is small, 10%, 20%, it's unlikely that overwhelming sepsis will will occur. But as the wounds get bigger and especially as they get deeper uh, that chance of overwhelming sepsis really does get higher and it increases the pressure to do something surgical early uh, in patients with large injuries.
0: Point of clarification.
1: Burn excision is a very useful tool to minimize sepsis and hasten wound closure, but it should not be overdone. The practical problem is deciding which wounds will not heal and therefore should be excised to speed healing and decrease the chance of sepsis. Too much excision results in unnecessary procedures and potential anesthetic complications. Too little excision results in delayed wound closure and septic complications. Finding the proper balance requires mature judgment, considering only the child's best interest. As a general rule, when burns are small and not physiologically threatening, it's best only to operate if you're certain they will not heal. When burns are large and physiologically threatening, It's best to operate if you are not certain they'll heal. The difference is subtle, but important. For example, this child is a small child. It's a big burn. It's deep. Uh, If that wound gets septic, the child's going to be in big trouble. And so you really need to address this early, decide what needs to come off, and do that in a way that doesn't hurt the child. This wound, not quite as big. Uh, It's certainly deep, the child's older, it looks to be in good nutritional status and so this is a wound that doesn't have quite the pressure to get this off but I certainly, uh, I think that wound is deep and it is not small and so you'd be well advised to proceed uh, relatively soon with that. And the same here, this wound, there's probably some dead muscle in that forearm and if you wait on this it's, the case is going to get harder to do because the patient's going to become sicker and sicker uh, with sepsis. A wound like this, uh, perhaps less of a physiologic threat due to sepsis, but it's tight, it's deep, it probably is circumferential and is an ischemic threat. So there's really an anatomic uh, ischemic reason to get this done earlier, at least decompressed early uh, to optimize long-term function. A wound like this, it's small, a little bit deep in the center, probably full thickness in the center and it probably does need to be done but the child looks to be nutritionally replete the wound is small and there's much less pressure to get that done quickly a wound like this presents an aesthetic threat it may not project well uh, but you can see there's kind of a deep waxy uh, portion to the inferior pole of that wound and there's going to be some very important long-term consequences to uh, inexpert management of that and so you want to be very careful with this there's Uh, no pressure to get this done surgically, it's small, Uh, there's very little septic threat uh, with a wound like that. This is a special circumstance that uh, you'll see when the wounds follow their natural history many times in uh, developing countries where the resources required to do these cases uh, aren't available and this child has probably been burned three, four, five weeks ago, the wound has liquefied and sloughed and left a granulating bed and you can see this little girl is very cachectic and wasted and Although she may need an operation uh, to get well, uh, she's not going to tolerate the operation very well at all. And when you manipulate this wound, she'll get septic, um, and she may not have a coagulation cascade that works as well as as it ought to, and your operation may be actually more of a threat than the disease today. And so to prepare this patient in a very careful way uh, for surgery is really important. This child looks to be nutritionally replete, the wound is pretty uh, fresh and this child would probably tolerate uh, one big operation very well to get this done. Same here, this wound isn't quite as big as a threat um, and it does have areas that don't need to be done Um, and you'd want to map that wound very carefully in the operating room to graft and excise only those areas that absolutely need it. We'll talk about how to do that in just a bit. This is a different story. This is a nutritionally depleted child who has been sick a long time, you can tell by the muscle wasting, and this child will not tolerate a big operation up front. And so you really need to replete this child, uh, feed this child, deal with the refeeding issues, and treat the wound with antiseptics, and then in a very careful, uh, staged, hemostatic fashion, get that wound closed.
0: Preparation for surgery.
1: In terms of preparation for operation, uh, again, the, the, the guiding theme here is first do no harm. Uh, these operations, when done inexpertly, uh, really can lead to a, quite a lot of morbidity. And we'll talk about how to prevent that. Uh, the techniques to prepare the room and yourself are to have a clear positioning and excision plan. So you need to have examined the child very well, preoperatively, have a very clear plan about sequencing of positions when donor site uh, procurement will occur. And ideally, with a bigger burn, have bailout In other words, places where you can safely truncate the case and uh, leave the room, uh, replete the child, warm the child if they're cold, and then plan to come back. And so ready access to the operating room is really important, and a very clear sequenced plan is important. Um, Before starting a case like this, you want to have excellent vascular access uh, so that doesn't become an issue. Intraoperatively have blood ready if you think you're going to lose any blood, and have the room nice and hot. Uh, It's nice to have positioning aids to facilitate speed of execution of the case. Uh, These are just some overhead suspension devices, uh, but there are a variety of these that can be very useful. Keeping the room warm helps a lot. Our rooms at Shriners, we're very lucky, go to 120 degrees uh, and our incidence of intraoperative hypothermia is approximately zero. It basically never happens, uh, but sometimes there is a cost to the staff in terms of a comfort level Uh, but it's it's well worth it because patients will coagulate well uh, when they're nice and warm.
0: Hemostatic burn excision techniques
1: and the heart of this uh, session here is techniques of hemostatic burn excision how do you get the wound off without causing a lot of blood loss Uh, historically these cases were associated with enormous blood loss and uh, that in itself really limits your ability to do the case safely. Uh, Many times if the kids are sick Especially if the wounds are a bit older, you want to look at a staged hemostatic excision in larger injuries. Uh, you can do this frequently every day, every other day until, the, uh, until uh, what needs to get done is, is done. Uh, a, a very critical question up front is how deep should the excision be? And many of these burns are different in depth in different parts of the the, uh, wound. Uh, The skin varies in thickness a great deal and you really want to be quite accurate. You want not to sacrifice anything that is alive and will will enhance your long-term outcome. So you want to map the areas of concern and then try to very accurately um, um, map out the depth of the burn uh, for your excision. And so really what you want to do is a very accurate layered excision that should be what is done in most burns nowadays. Um, And uh, uh, here's a way to do this intraoperatively.
2: So first we're gonna just look and see how deep it is. Take a small little test patch there. You see that's not bleeding. So we'll go a little bit deeper. And now we see we get a little bit bleeding in the center of the wound where there's a little deep dermis. This stuff on the periphery, there's really no bleeding. Yeah, and uh, so this really is a very deep dermal, superficial, full fitness injury. Starting to get a little bit of bleeding here, the very deep reticular nervous.
1: Uh, this is a picture of a layered excision being done under a tourniquet, and you can see there's no bleeding, uh, even though that dermis is viable looking at it. And this is a way to do it under a tourniquet. You uh, can use an ACE bandage to exsanguinate the extremity, use that as a tourniquet, do your excision, and then wrap a hemostatic wrap on that extremity and dilute epinephrine. And, uh, and have very little blood loss uh, for that excision. And you can do also excisions uh, under dilute epinephrine clysis, and this is extremely useful technique. This is a donor site, uh, the upper portion of which has been clised with dilute epinephrine, and lower portion not. And you can see just the enormous savings in blood if you do your surgery in this fashion. And you can do your excisions this way as well.
2: All right, this will help us. Now that we know how deep it is, we can do this area with a little epi-injection. And now we can do this to that appropriate level, much more he- sorry, hemostatically.
1: And that gives you an idea of how a uh, layered excision with dilute epinephrine clysis can be done in a highly accurate way, uh, giving you a, a just a, a great physiologic excision, a nice smooth wound bed that'll take graft readily. Uh, without uh, the cost being an enormous uh, amount of blood loss. And you can see from this uh, that one way to do this without losing a lot of blood is to pick a representative area and do a very fine layered excision and help guide you to know exactly how deep this typical part of the wound is. and That will guide you when you're using your hemostatic techniques into how to do the rest of the excision without uh, using blood loss as the endpoint for excision and this is a picture of a a tourniquet being used to do a layered excision and so again layered excisions are preferred even in big deep burns you can do these layered Uh, you can get a great aesthetic result that way and um, a a much better functional result as well Uh, there are times when using a mechanical dermatome can be a part of an excision. If you've planned the excision very well and you're good with the mechanical device, you really can speed up the excision that way. And you can see this is an excision being, pretty large excision being done uh, with a mechanical device under clysis after very carefully planning the depth um, to uh, facilitate a speedy, smooth excision. And you can get a very nice excision of a large injury this way, uh, generate a bed that will reliably accept autograft without really depleting your patient uh, too much of blood. You can do deeper excisions to be safe. Uh, You can do fascial excisions to be very safe and make sure you've gotten all the necrotic tissue off, but there's really quite an aesthetic and functional cost to that. Years ago, fascial excisions were quite commonly done routinely, Um, and we've really gotten away from that over the years unless the patient is very sick uh, with a septic wound and you're really not stabilizing them with intravenous antibiotics. Um, and those kids sometimes are, and they're, particularly if they're coagulopathic and they're difficult to correct, and those kids, um, it, it can be a lifesaver. So if they have a deep septic wound and then you just can't make them not bleed with dilute epinephrine or a tourniquet, um, and you really need to get the wound off to save their life, a fascial excision is very reasonable. There are also some children who have burns that are just so deep. They involve the skin, the fat, and parts of the fascia, and those children are best served with fascial excisions. They're very rarely done. Uh, they're done for specific indications. We'll talk a little bit about now how to do the fascial excision in a relatively dry way.
3: Uh, this is the way to do it with a bovie. You can just lots of traction, and then you can see there's a nice little plane right here. You can have your partner mop for you. you always use Coag to stay nice and dry. And your partner can dab there. See that nice plane? And you can keep it nice and dry. You can see the technique is very simple. And it's lots of traction. Get a nice clean plane there too. It will always take a graft very readily. And just keep it dry as you go. You can see this is a mutilating extension. You really don't want to do this unless it's absolutely necessary. And it rarely, rarely is. We only do one to we'll go a year without doing a facial expression here. You can see we're just taking our time. There's lots of traction, it's more traction than bolby. The bolby is always on coag, never on cut, because cutting bolby smokes a lot, and it tends to bleed a lot more, and really if you're using enough traction, you don't need that much bolby. You see a blood vessel coming up in your field as you're doing this, you can buzz that blood vessel you can see, you can develop a lovely plane. It's very easily seen. And the person holding traction is actually more important than the person holding the moldy, if you're really directing the direction of totally.
1: Sometimes you'll see children whose wounds have sloughed, especially in the developing world where early excision is very difficult to practice in reality. And given the resources that are not present, and um, kids will slough their wounds and develop these large beds of granulating tissue and these can be very bloody excisions and very challenging to do in the absence of an ICU or a blood bank. Uh, a way to do this uh, in a staged way is also with epinephrine clysis which we'll show here particularly if you use a blunt technique and so a blunt technique with these with epinephrine clysis you can and if you do it in a staged careful way you can do these with relatively little blood loss.
2: And sometimes you're lucky that the, the granulation is relatively fresh. It's kind of gelatinous, so it scrapes off very easily. If you scrape it to a nice, dry, fibrotic bed, it'll take graft really well. And uh, sometimes it's, if it's older, it's, it becomes fibrous, and you have to cut it, to size it. But I think this is kind of gelatinous. If you go from the wound edge to the center, kind of bluntly like this, you can get into a nice plane with oh, the epinephrine it doesn't bleed. Very much, and you get just a lovely bed that'll take graft. If you don't do this and try and put the graft on the granulation, the grafts don't do very well because the granulation tissue is sort of uh, the angry fibroblasts and mostly in inflammatory cells, and that uh, really keeps it from bleeding. If you go outside the epinephrine zone, you see getting a little bleeding, so we're going to stop. But you get the idea of. Uh, sort of bluntly getting that stuff off to a nice dry bed, and can, it's, it'll take a graft very reliably.
1: So as you can see from that video, um, these uh, you, you know—these beds of granulation can be excised sharply, but when you do that, they bleed a lot, and it can be a real issue, uh, especially in a developing uh, op- a country's operating room where you don't have the resources to salvage uh, a case that gets bloody. And uh, so you, a dilute epinephrine glysis, uh with um, uh, blunt technique not sharp technique uh, can sometimes really make a huge difference give you a great bed that will reliably accept autographed
0: donor site management
1: now let's move to donor site management unfortunately we're still in a place where the large majority of children are best served with split thickness autographed and uh, that's an important part of the operations and support to plan it well and perform it well um, and again, uh, this, is, this rule applies. Uh, there are times when donor site morbidity becomes worse than the original burn and so it's important to very carefully harvest your donor sites. Be familiar with how thick uh, the, the uh, uh, providing area of skin is, uh, how well your uh, patient is able to heal their donor site uh, so you cannot take too thick a donor site. Um, donor sites uh, um, can be taking also with epinephrine clysis like here with really very little blood loss if you use a lot of dilu- epinephrine clysis and i probably should uh, uh, tell you what uh, dilution i use and, and uh... i use a lot of epinephrine clysis and the dilution i like to use is a half mic- microgram per cc um, which is about a one to two million concentration and that's best made by taking an amp of one to a thousand epinephrine and diluting it in a liter of injectable saline and that um, is a quite quite a dilute solution but it's really quite effective when used right. And this is just an illustration of how well you can uh, harvest uh, sometimes very vascular areas without a lot of blood loss. This is a scalp shaved uh, being prepared for harvest with glysis and you can see there's not a lot of blood coming out of that dermatome as would be the case uh, had not the epinephrine been there and then you, know, you really don't lose that much blood if you do this uh, quickly uh, with good clysis. And, and again, the, the morbidity of donor sites can be really huge. You don't want to generate problems uh, from a too thick a harvest or infected uh, donor sites. And this is a short video that will show you a way to um, harvest using a mechanical dermatome.
0: Here's
3: the scan. The braid is going I guess. And this is
1: controlled depth that yeah. Uh Just a word about hand harvesting uh... in many parts of the developing world they don't have access or you know to the high quality um, uh, maintenance uh, needy uh... dermatomes that we are so fortunate to use in our operating rooms and hand harvesting is frequently done and and, and i've tried to do this and I know a lot of people that do this and on a nice planar surface uh... you can sometimes get a good graft of the thickness that you would like but more often than not especially in the real world where you're harvesting non-planar surfaces, it can be extremely difficult to get a reliable good harvest and sometimes you create more morbidity than you're, than you're fixing uh, with this. And the graphs you get may not be really the quality that you want. I did this and uh, uh, not a graph that I uh, was particularly proud of but it was the best I could do uh, with the device I had. The key points from this uh, video are lots of hands supporting this. You want to prepare the surface very well with the clysis and with positioning of the patient to really make a nice, planar surface because that's where the dermatome works best. And sometimes many hands will help you do that. Trying to do that with force and pressing very hard really is not uh, the way to success. It's really a finesse. uh, Get a a nice, thin graft is really what you wanna do, especially in a small child where uh, their skin is thin and they're not gonna tolerate uh, a thick harvest.
0: Graft fixation.
1: So um, we're nearing the end of this uh graft fixation and post operative wound care. Um graft fixation is one of the crafty parts of our field that really attracted it, me to it in the very beginning and uh there's a lot to this and I can't you can't encapsulate all of it uh in one uh short segment but I think just paying attention to the fact that this is really an important thing that that we do because if you put the graft you prepare a wound bed beautifully you harvest a great graft you put it down if you don't secure it really well especially in an otherwise well child who's going to swarm around and want to move uh, you're not going to, you're going to be doing it all over again you can do a lot of harm with this if you don't do this tail end of the case uh, very well and sometimes this part of the case takes long is the longest part of the case so you want to craft your dressings to minimize shear. You want to be creative with that. Um, you can craft your dressings and your uh, graph stabilizers to serve as splints um, like here in this axilla. Uh, you can want to craft your uh, fixation uh, device so that it doesn't distort normal anatomy so the child can be comfortable uh, afterwards. Uh, you want to, uh, to craft it so that it will allow motion uh, so it won't hinder rehabilitation or hinder uh, whatever motion the child can have while that graft is taking. There's uh, uh, negative, Using negative pressure devices for graft fixation is certainly a possibility. Uh, I've done it. Um, I don't think you need to do that. I think that you can craft your dressing in such a way as to get really excellent uh, gentle pressure and stabilization uh, with uh, more primitive devices and uh, you want to craft your dressing to tolerate contamination and to tolerate movement and to tolerate egressive fluid and this illustrates a, uh, um, a multiply uh, gauze dressing being tacked down to a, uh, the deep component of a wound bed to really provide nice egressive uh, fluid, the ability to soak and yet the child can, this is a child's back and buttocks and this child can then lay a supine, can get it up and walk and sit in a chair without disturbing uh, the ability of the graft to take. So with that, um, that's the close of Topic 5. I'd like to emphasize a couple of rules. Again, uh, wound closure is the best medicine. A lot of the things that uh, make children sick with these injuries get better on their own. Uh, if you can get the wound closed, so you do want to press ahead uh, with wound closure uh, most of the time. Uh, a hemostatic layered excisions are preferred. You don't want to do the unnecessarily deep excisions. You'd prefer to avoid fascial excisions you prefer to avoid excision at all if it does not necessary and uh, you know no operation is better than a bad operation and so if you don't have all the resources that you need to do the case uh, at, at you, you don't either don't do it or do it in a, a staged way with small segments and lots of uh, opportunities to bail out if it's not going well uh, because without a good intensive care unit and a, and a generous blood bank if you get in trouble uh, it can be really very difficult trouble. Um, And it's all about the team, it's not about the surgeon. You want to make sure everybody's on board and all the pieces that are required to make this happen smoothly uh, from the anesthesiologist and the OR nurse and the ICU nurse and the blood bank and the lab and your scrub tech and your hospital engineers are going to keep your room warm. Uh, Everybody knows what's happening and uh, can do their part uh, uh, to make it happen right. If I can answer any questions, I would be thrilled to do that. Thank you.